Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update providing up-to-the-minute information on interest rates, loan programs, and hot industry news relating to the mortgage industry. Brought to you by Mortgage Banking Solutions, enabling executives to take their business to the next level. To participate in today's program, our guest call in line is 646-716-4972. And now, here is your host of Lickin' on Lending, David Lickin'. Good to have you with us, everybody. It is Monday, July 11th. I mean, we talk about this, and it, the flying time just flies by, and we're already into July. It's good to have you with us, Telling and appreciate you telling others about this podcast. A lot of people are dialing in. I'm amazed at the number of people that are tuned in over the Internet. And that's via the app that's out there. And now we have some new methods in which we're broadcasting this. We rebroadcast this through Stitcher and through YouTube. Our YouTube listeners, has, there's an explosion going on over there. I had no idea how many people were dialing in and starting to listen to that. So we're starting to get more and more interest there. Please appreciate my assistant, uh, Kurt, over in the Philippines, who's my virtual assistant, and he does a great job of uh, keeping us up. We're releasing a new website here. <laughs> As soon as I get the time to finish it up, put the cross the T's and dot the I's. So anyway, but we appreciate you joining us. These are new ways in which you can listen to the program. Again, this broadcast is created by mortgage professionals for mortgage professionals, and we're the proud recipient of the Progress in Lending Award. And it's not because we're trained broadcasters; it's because we have a passion to share what we know, what we're hearing with the industry. We have back as our special guest Alan Weiss. Uh, if you were to recall, Alan was on, I believe it was February 23rd, was on the podcast, did a great job on the, uh, February, I meant May, May 23rd, February, scratch that, May 23rd, and he talked about his predictive uh, valuation models. He used to be the CEO of uh, Case Schiller and uh, has been studying, he has a life passion of looking at property values, and now he has a new innovative way in which some consumers can be purchasing homes. It includes a mortgage, it includes a down payment, but there's a new aspect to it. So do stay tuned all the way through to the Hot Topic segment with Alan Weiss. We have him on the line, and we're honored to have you back on the program, Alan. Pleasure to be here. It is, I thoroughly enjoyed our last podcast, and for those listeners that are listening that did not get to hear that or haven't gotten caught up on listening, I go to the May 23rd interview that we had with Alan. I was, I was really encouraged by that, and I have, have had so many downloads of that podcast, Alan. It's, so you, you, you're really registering here. So we're glad to have you on and talking about another innovation that you're doing. Let's talk about that. What is RevX? That's what we're talking about. That's your this product. What is RevX and what is um, indexed fractional ownership or IFOs? Well, RevX stands for Real Estate Value Exchange, and it's a new company we formed as a subsidiary of Weiss Analytics, the goal of which is to produce an entirely new form of institutional equity in homes that lets homeowners, whether they be uh, single-family owner rentals or eventually owner-occupants get a slice of financing that is not debt and is not their own equity. That's interesting. I mean, it's um, Joe, I want to get you in on the discussion here, so I'll toss the mic over to you. Alan? Uh, yeah, I'm here. Uh, who, Alan, do you see benefiting using this service and benefiting from it? 
Well, the goal is that it's a win-win-win all around. The the notion is that if you think about companies as an analogy, companies finance themselves with equity. uh, People call that stocks or shares in a company, and they finance themselves with debt. And usually there's an attempt to keep that in balance that's appropriate for that business. And larger companies have access to debt markets and equity markets, which helps them function well. If you go over to houses... People who own houses, whether they're owner-occupants or investors, typically have access to their own equity and uh, debt, but there's no formal institutional equity that can help them keep the debt low, the payments reasonable, and so on. So from my perspective, this would help the owner of the house have a lower payment because they have a partner in equity in the house. Um, It therefore makes the loan safer for the lender, and, and the investor gains access to an asset class that really should be in people's portfolios since it's so large and important for our economy. I just think it's a, a kind of liquidity that's been missing since the beginning of time. And now with modern technology, it's become possible. It's just a question of building it. Um, generally speaking, markets that are liquid and function well help everyone. There's really no downside to it. It's generally upside as long as it's done in a proper way, and that's what our goal is. Yeah, and so uh, uh, before we get into more about how it works, is this something that's available right now? No, it's not available today in the form I'm talking about. It's in development. What's available today are the price indexes that we believe are essential for driving it. So we have developed in the parent company, Weiss Analytics, uh, home price indexes at the house level. We have 60 million house-specific indexes, and these are used for various decision-making functions uh, in buying homes and lending and so on. But one use we think um, is that's going to be ultimately the most important is so that when somebody takes an equity position in a house, there's an objective, uh, transparent third party that can settle the question of how much of the house when it's sold should go to the equity investor and how much should go to the owner-occupant or single-family owner of the property. What this does is it untangles the problem that's prevented this from uh, being implemented thus far, which is that a house needs to be maintained and so on, and sometimes the owner wants to improve it, and all of that value should go to the homeowner. And how do you untangle changes in value from the condition of the house from changes in the market? And that's the purpose of the index. The investor gets the index, the the homeowner gets the sale, um, and then whatever's left over. That's interesting. I mean, it's, it's uh, as we learn more about this, I'm sure we're going to understand more when you roll this out. What is the rollout plan? Sure. The rollout plan is three phases. Phase one is occurring right now, in which we are using our indexes and our forecasts to make investments in houses that are in markets that are, we and our investors find attractive. It turns out that these house-specific indexes are very, very good at picking up on trends, and for about a three-year horizon, we have a high degree of confidence we can select markets that are good investments. So the first step is to build up a portfolio of houses in strong markets and hold that as an investment portfolio. Stage two is then to begin to make investments uh, in houses that are uh, owned by third parties that are rented out. So our our portfolio will be of rental properties, but we'll own them directly. 
This next second phase will be single-family properties that are owned and controlled by third parties, but w which our investors will participate in a minority interest in which the appreciation they enjoy or depreciation if that occurs is uh, measured by the house index for that house. And then finally, the third phase will be the transition from single-family rentals to owner-occupied houses at the time when regulators and lenders and mortgage agencies are all um, on board and are comfortable with the program. Wow. This is amazing stuff, Alan. Hi, it's Andy. Hi. Um, I can just think I have so many more questions than the ones that are here that we're talking about. Um, so let, let's start with what's the impetus to bring this to market now? Why now? Why now? Well, um, my now has been there for ever since, uh, let's see, I was 30 years old, which was several decades ago. I've, I've always looked at the market for owning single-family homes as kind of not constructed in the right way. If you, when you go to business school, you learn about not putting all your eggs in one basket, and you look at home ownership, and that's exactly what people are doing. In fact, it's more than all their eggs um, in that people generally owe more than their net worth. And that's exactly what you're not supposed to do. And somehow we put that thought aside when we own homes, and we do that at our peril. We, we see that uh, when prices go down, and they go down significantly in major markets or the entire country, it brings down the entire economy. Mm -hmm. And that's always been a problem. I've been aware of that since uh, this point was driven home to me. And ever since then, it's bothered me. It seemed like there's two two fundamental beliefs we hold that contradict each other, but people don't pay attention to it. One is don't put all your eggs in one basket, and the other is borrow a lot of money to buy a house. So we, we pursue both, and we see the consequences of it, but no one ever says, how can we make that better? And I've, I've made my whole career about making that better. That's why I formed Case Schiller Weiss with Professors Case and Schiller. Um, we produced the indexes so that we could settle financial instruments on the housing market. We ended up uh, succeeding in creating a standard but did not get very far in that loftier goal. And I'm still at it, and I think we finally have cracked it now that we can produce indexes at the house level. Wow. That's so exciting. And this could be such a boom for the housing market with the restrictive credit and additional reduced uh, debt benefiting both the credit and also the risk exposure to the consumer. So, so you know, like you said, you started thinking about this probably 20 years ago or, or more. I've gone through several crashes in my life. Um, mm -hmm. Not that that's a good thing. So how are, you, how are you different than others who've tried to accomplish this? Well, as I said, I think the biggest stumbling block has been the fact that a house is a physical object that's maintained by the owner, whether that owner is a single-family rental owner or an owner-occupant. So when you try to bring in debt financing, it works because there's a formula that says how much the mortgage holder is owed. You have interest and you have a payment and you have amortization. So as long as the house is reasonably maintained and it's not underwater, we, the lender always knows and there's no real disagreement to, as to how much the, of the house in effect is, is a claim they have versus the homeowner. 
But when you go to equity and you try to settle it on the price of the house and sell it or an appraisal, there is no formula. It doesn't. So you have to go to what investments did the homeowner make? Did they maintain the house up to market standards? These are really hard questions to sort out. And all the programs that have come before have tried to settle up on figuring out the value and the appreciation the investors owed based on really an impossible process of sorting out maintenance, investments, and so on. So what we're doing is we're saying, let's go to the part of the mortgage model that works, which is have a formula. And that becomes possible when you can accurately track the change in the value of that particular house through time, objectively. That's what our indexes do. So our equity formula is as straightforward and as transparent and always known to all parties, just as how much you owe in a mortgage is. That part is just like a mortgage, a simple formula. The difference is that with a mortgage, you make monthly payments, and with equity, you simply pay when you sell. But when you, right. when you do sell, you, everyone already knows how much uh, of the house is going to create liquidity for the investor and how much for the homeowner. Wow, that's amazing. So Rivex, pretty cool. So I can't wait to I'm, – I'm sure you have them locked in a vault, but I bet the algorithms are, are really amazing that you've created to be able to do exactly this point. Exciting stuff, Alan. It really is. So when do you need to, what do you need to do to make this generally available? Well, I th- as I said, I think there are steps to this. We, this is a new concept. I don't think it's actually any more complex than a mortgage, but it's new and it's unfamiliar. We have mortgages that have fixed rates in 30 years, even amortization tables for 30-year mortgage. The math is not, not trivial, but we're all used to it, and we understand how it works, so it's become a norm in society. I don't think that happens overnight with anything new, and I think that's going to be true for indexed equity. It's going to take time. So I think number one is simply enough time for people to get familiar with the concepts that someone's going to own a piece of the house, but the owner's going to control it, and they can sell when they want, and then this formula to settle up. Aside from that, it's, there's some some legal structures that need to be finalized so that people understand how the ownership is shared legally between the the owner and the investor. We need lenders to become comfortable with the process of underwriting a mortgage with the presence of a third-party investor. We need regulators to be comfortable with it, and um, it will obviously help if we have um, one of the GSEs backing it. So we're working on all these steps. Uh, talking to people, and starting the process, as I said, by building up a portfolio that's driven by the indexes, number one, and then number two, once we have a portfolio of single-family rentals in which a slug of the equity is held through this index method, that will give us a way to point at something that isn't a consumer product but has a structure. And I think that'll be the basis of education that hopefully leads to the consumer product. Interesting. Really good. Joe? Alan, can can you give me a a, you know, a, a cash flow from you know how uh, where the money comes from to buy buy the house, and then after that, is there any cash flow between the investor and the bar and, and the and the buyer, or you know how does that cash flow, and then ultimately how does the investor get his cash out? 
Sure. All right, let's, let's use an example, just simple numbers, that there's a $100,000 house that is owned by an investor who rents it out and has a tenant. So the tenant is unaffected by this whole process. The investor, for, for simplicity, let's say, um, owns the house outright, and they want to get some cash out. In effect, they want to sell a piece of the house so they can take some capital off the table for that market and invest it in something else and get a little bit of diversification. So in that simple model, they would simply go through a closing with an investor and let's say receive $20,000, and that money is available to them for any purpose. It's their money. The investor gets recorded on the deed as a tenant in common, and there's an agreement between the investor and the single-family rental owner which says that when that owner sells the house, we figure out how much the investor gets paid back by starting with $20,000 and adjusting it by how much the index, the price index for that house changed. So a simple example could be the house went up 10% according to the index, and then when the house is sold, the investor, instead of their original 20000 receives 22000 that would be a, the most simple example you could give. Yeah. And, it's, and the reason, the, the way to make sure that everyone understands that it's equity and not debt is the fundamental difference is with equity, you never have to pay while you own something. There's no, there's no requirement on a monthly basis. There's no requirement to ever sell the house. Once you put a requirement on it, then it has features of debt, and that's what we're looking to avoid. But the the homeowner or the guy that bought the house is responsible for like maintenance and taxes and insurance and all that. That's exactly right. So we envision okay. that the institutional investor is going to want as simple an arrangement as possible. They have no control over the house. They have no responsibility for the house. They, in effect, have bought an index on the house that's backed by the house. So in that sense, it's very similar to having a mortgage. The owner is responsible for all costs. Uh, and reaps the benefit beyond the change in the value due to market forces. The index measures market forces. If they can figure out a way to increase the rent or make the house more valuable through smart investments, they have all that benefit, and the investor, in turn, has the buffer that they're not impacted by it. So you always want the party who controls an event to have both the rewards and the consequences of that, so that they're responsible and there's no moral hazard in the situation. And we think is that's what any, makes it attractive. Sorry. Is there any sort of dispute resolution between the homeowner and the investor as to uh, that 10%? Well, the fundamental dispute resolution is a contract they sign up front that says the model. they will set. Yeah, sorry? Yeah, they just agree that whatever the model says, it's uh, uh, going to be taken as, as accurate. Exactly. And then yeah. we need to take steps to assure that everybody has confidence that the indexes were calculated both reliably, accurately, and without any bias. So we have third parties lined up to calculate the indexes, to audit the indexes, to spot check them in a number of ways. So we're going to essentially self-regulate. So anybody looking at this process will have confidence that with the number of parties looking at it and scrutinizing it and testing it, that this is going to be fair. That's the most important thing with respect to the index. And then we think people will accept 
this new structure. So, Alan, it really is, it's Andy, it really sounds like it's almost like a, an investment partner. That, that it, So you're not borrowing the money. They're investing in the house and the values established by your index. So you really got to believe the index. But just so I'm really clear, just mm-hmm. so I really got this down, tell me again, mm-hmm. why isn't this like another way of going into debt? Okay, so let's go. Let's uh, fast forward to to phase two, where you have a an, an owner of a rental property, and let's contrast uh, debt versus index fractional ownership, which is the name for this investment. So with debt, there's monthly payments, and can, there can be either amortization to pay down the principal, or balloon payment on a date certain. And that's the nature of debt. You have to pay it back on a date certain. With index fractional ownership, there is no monthly payment and there is no date certain. It's simply when the house is sold. Now, you can have an outside date that could be something like 30 years in the future uh, with an investor. With a homeowner, it probably will be lifetime. People aren't immortal, so that's good enough. So it, it will essentially be when you choose to sell your house, you pay the investor the index share of, of the house, your, princip- your base amount, and then the appreciation. So, again, it's not debt because you don't have to pay it back on a date certain. You just simply need to set all up when you sell the house. So you can't get into cash flow trouble. You can't, you can't default because you haven't promised to pay anything. And that, that's true of, if you think about how equity for a company works also. It's much lower risk than debt because they don't have to pay a dividend. That's their choice. And they never have to give back the principal unless the assets of the company are sold. It's the exact same model here with a house. Yeah. And the investor in the index fractional ownership has investment risk like as if they were buying a mortgage-backed security. It's a 30-year debt, but it prepays, and sometimes it extends more than you think. Because people refinance or they sell and Wow, so many things more to talk about. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's, that's actually an excellent point. I mean, if, if you think about it, we haven't really talked about it from the investor's perspective. Why would somebody do this? So our view is that an investor would do this for a number of reasons. First of all, uh, many people want to own different kinds of assets that don't correlate with the overall stock market. Home prices don't correlate, number one. Number two, this is backed by a house, and we would – structure it so that it's not a very leveraged investment. So it's, it's a safe investment backed by a house. Uh, number three, we hope to build up a liquid market so that they have liquidity. And number four, the return has to make sense. So I've been giving you a simple example where they get one times the index, which probably won't make it attractive. However, if somebody puts up, say, 20% of the value of the house but gets half the appreciation based on the index, then it gets pretty interesting because, generally speaking, home prices rise with inflation. So if you're getting two and a half times inflation, that might be 5 or 6% right now and a long-term, very, very safe product, then that can be attractive. And especially when you begin to think of how deep this market is. We have $15 trillion or so worth of houses in this country. That's roughly the size of the stock market. And there's a lot of money overseas in particular that would love to get into dollars, get into something safe, and have a solid long-term investment. So we believe that in the long run, 
this will bring a lot of capital into the country, into the housing market, so it'll be good for the housing market. It'll make home ownership less expensive. And we said, as we said, it'll make uh, uh, lenders uh, less risky. And um, I, I think it's, as I said, I believe liquid markets generally create win-wins all around. So can I ask a clarifying question real quick? Sure. Dave, we have time? Yeah, um, yeah. go ahead. So, Alan, if make sure I got this straight. So let's say we've got a $100,000 house. We've got a home buyer who doesn't have very much money. They only have 5% down. Their credit's okay but not quite good enough. They can't get approved at a 95% LTV. The investor comes in and puts 20% in. The homeowner still puts in their 5 so now you're down at a 75% debt to value, loan to value mm-hmm. ratio for the homeowner. Mm-hmm. So now their credit, even though it was not great, is good enough at 75, and they're fine. They get the house, and they're fine to give up 50% of the appreciation to the investor who they wouldn't have had the house without the investor, and it, it helps to get more people into housing. Am, am I on track, or what did I miss? No, no, you're completely on track. And think of what that does. As you said, the homeowner gets the house without creating undue risk for themselves or the lender, right? The, they have a lower payment, yep. and if for whatever reason the house goes down in value, that's already going to be absorbed by the, lend, by the equity investor, I should say. So taxpayers who are probably backing that loan are protected by that investor. The homeowner is protected by that investor, and more capital has come into the market. There's one more buyer who can safely buy a home. It becomes more affordable. And if, if prices rise, they win more than they would otherwise because they couldn't have owned the home. And if prices fall, they maintain their incentive to stay in the home and keep paying because we've protected their equity. Exactly. The only person that wouldn't like this would be our friends at RKMI who now don't have coverage, but it still is better for the economy. That's true. I mean, I, I think that um, there are many – in any innovation, you know, there's going to be something that is being replaced. That's probably the piece that's being replaced. But – Still, we might decide that there should be MI because that person only has put in 5%. It oh, a that's a great of, point. Oh, and sure, yeah. down to 60. Oh, good point. Yeah. Yeah, yeah really good point. Yeah. I'm sorry, Al. I could keep going, but I better give it back to Dave. There's just, no, that's we fine. I mean, we, we actually hope to partner with the MIs because we think they're going to play an important role in bringing this out. Well, let us and if I was the equity investor, I'd want there to be someone else with me to help of course. With, with a limited down payment from the borrower. Of course, yeah. I, I think there's a way to structure it so that it becomes safer. And we, as, we want to, as much as possible, use all the existing mechanisms because they function well, and we, it's, we don't want to innovate any more than we have to. We want to get this to be up and running soon to help, to help everybody. Well, there, there's so much more we could need to and could get into in discussing on this. We're flat out of time. Hey, Dave, your mic's not very loud. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'll have to turn that up here see if that is that a little bit better, Andy? Hopefully that yep, helps. you got it. All right, good, good. Uh, one of the things, Alan, is I look at the clock and the time just has gone by. I want to clarify something for some lenders that are out there in the marketplace that might be listening to, and this is, is this going to reduce the lending activity? And this is not. I have not heard anything about this innovative new product that is going to take lenders out it's actually actually should help lenders and the housing market do more. Is, am, am I correct in that? Yes, that's how it's intended, that somebody who couldn't otherwise buy a house can buy it or can buy it more safely. 
So any given loan might be somewhat smaller, but there are going to be more of them. And it's, it's basically something that is designed to live alongside debt and make the debt be safer and more prudent for everybody involved. So I, I believe that this innovation will actually um, be a boon to lenders, and they, and they can become part of the infrastructure that, that rolls it out. And, we're, in fact, we're talking to partners right now about just that. That's really interesting. It's very innovative, and I just thank you so much for taking time to be a part of it. In fact, we're going to add us to this. I'm going to uh, tack on a recording, and we're going to rebroadcast this, folks, uh, next to tomorrow or Wednesday at the latest. And I'm going to try to connect with Alan, and, and we're going to add some more context to this. So if you want to learn more, we've run out of time for this podcast. But if you're available and would like to learn more, uh, tune in to the rebroadcast of this Hot Topic segment, and we're going to add and attack some more on. So that's a good teaser for you to want to come back and listen to the rebroadcast because we're going to be adding some more data. Folks, appreciate you being here with us. Look forward to having you back. Next week we've got Logan Motoshami coming on talking about his housing predictions, value, home sales, a lot of what's going on in the market. He's been so accurate, and it'll be really fun to have him back. So it's good to have you with us. Appreciate you tuning in. Alan, I'm going to give you a call back right after this podcast uh, is up, and we'll record some other comments that I'm going to bolt on to the other part when we rebroadcast this. Folks, good to have you with us. Have a great week, and tune in next week for Alan, where we, when we have Logan Motoshami here with us. Have a good week, everybody. Talk to you soon. Folks, after we concluded the podcast, I called Alan back because there was some more content that he had submitted to me in his notes, and I wanted to record that, and we're providing that now. So here's the continuation of our conversation that was recorded after we concluded the podcast. Alan, that was really interesting. Let's talk about what is RevX. Get into what that what, what the company is. Okay, so it, as I said, it's a subsidiary of Weiss Residential Research which also goes by the trade name Weiss Analytics. And its uh, mission is to create index fractional ownership across the board. So for uh, single-family rental properties and for eventually for owner-occupied properties. And it has the rights to the indexes for fractional ownership. So it has the right to set up contracts between owners and investors, it's going to seek out basically both sides of the market, find channels for finding single-family rental properties that are either owned or could be put in the rental portfolio on the one hand, and find investors on the other, bring them together in initially large uh, large kind of uh, custom transactions, and eventually in a more systematic way, hence moving towards the idea of um, a um, value exchange, which is the name of the company, Real Estate Value Exchange. Right. I like that name. Good Thank job. You. So what are some of the problems you see that might arise in this? Let's start with the homeowner side of it. Well, the homeowner is the hardest part because that's a, a protected class, the owner-occupant, that is, which mm-hmm. is why we're not going there first. And it's also complicated, and we want to get it right before we work with owner-occupants. So we're starting with single-family rental owners. And there, as you probably know, there are tens of thousands of, of people who own one or a few houses. Initially, what we want to do is own them in a, in a fund that we create ourselves. Okay. So we, we are already 
uh, working with investors. We have we already actually own a, a, a small asset base, and we're growing it, and it's performing well. And the plan for this piece is to pick out hot houses in hot markets, which we're good at doing, and own them for a three-year period as rentals and then sell them as a way to build up a base of, of single-family rentals that we know are going to get sold so, so investors can have confidence that they're going to have liquidity be before there is a liquid market. You have to get to a certain size before there can be a liquid market. So our plan is to just simply build up the AUM ourselves there are many investors who uh, want to get in on this because you can get very attractive returns and a cash flow because the, there's just markets where we can just buy houses right off the MLS that are very, very good investments. Um, so that's, that's the, the challenge is on that side, and that's how we're cracking that problem. And once we've done that, then we can begin to either spin off some of these houses to other owners or provide the same type of funding people who already own houses or are buying them as single-family rentals. So what are some of the problems for institutional investors? Well, their biggest hot button is liquidity. Mm -hmm. they, Understandably they, so. Yeah, I mean, they can, they can look at the index and say, I like that return. I see that that's what it, it was in the past. I, people have confidence generally that we can pick good markets, especially for that time horizon. Um, their issue is, well, how do I get my money out when I want to? And so that's why we've gone to a three-year horizon. There are funds that are liquid for three years, but the only way to assure liquidity is for us to hold the property ourselves so we can say we promise to sell right. them. So that's, that's, that's a relatively easy sell. The next phase will be hopefully there are going to be enough people, coming, enough people coming in and out of the fund that when someone comes in, they can look at the rate that other people are coming in mm -hmm. and feel confident that, well, I suppose if I want to get out, there's such an inflow, I could probably simply replace that inflow and sell my shares to that other party. So as long as we have a growing fund and it's performing well, we think that it can pick up a head of steam and create its own liquidity through its own scale. And there's really no limit, I mean, almost no limit to how big this can be because we've added up the dollar value of houses for sale in strong markets and it's, you know, hundreds of billions. Yeah, I can see it. Yeah. It's extraordinary. So how does RevX provide solutions to these potential problems? How do, you know, let's start with the home buyers again. Okay, so a home buyer um, as a single family rental owner um, may may not um, be so oriented towards appreciation and maybe more of a cash flow investor. So what we can do is re improve their cash flow by reducing their debt service because the equity investor doesn't need any any monthly payment. So for example, if they're buying a house that they have 30% down, they take another 30% of equity and 40% and debt. That means they've cut their debt payment by a ratio of 30 over 70. It's almost cut, they can cut it in half, for example. Yeah. And they keep all the cash and cash return goes through the roof, they've traded off appreciation, and maybe they're not the type of investor that wants it. In fact, maybe they don't even want it because they, their view is the market could decline as much as it could rise. So this lets them buy into markets that are weaker but have really great cash-on-cash -cash returns and improve those cash-on-cash -cash returns. So it opens up another way to invest. You don't have to buy both the cash flow 
and the appreciation. You can buy just one or the other. We've separated the two out. This is absolutely, it, it's just brilliant. But let's talk about how this solves some of the issues for institutional investors. Well, institutional investors need really big markets because they have gigantic portfolios, and they need to be able to make investments without disturbing the pricing or creating a shortage of assets when they buy. And similarly, they don't want to kill a price when they need to sell. So right. they need, they need uh, asset classes that are large compared to their portfolios. The larger the better, because that creates the greatest opportunity for liquidity in the long run. So the $15 trillion single-family home asset class in the U.S. fits that description well. It's as big as any asset class you can name. So it's attractive to them. Also, if you look at home prices, they're uncorrelated to equity markets, and they're always looking for uncorrelated asset classes. So if they can have a relatively straightforward way to get some of that into their portfolio, it, it yeah. just makes sense. And in addition, unlike a lot of a lot of investments, don't have a direct uh, view into the the true value of the underlying assets. Companies are very complex. How do you really know what the revenues are? What what the profits are going to be? Is, is the stock price correct? In this case. Since we ha we are settling it on the house index, we can literally publish the, the 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 true underlying asset value of the portfolio or of the fund every day. Yeah, so that's the part that, that distinguishes this you know, uniquely from other investments. I can totally see why this is we drawing in investors. Let's talk a little bit about how yeah, there's a lot of great ideas that never make it anywhere, Alan. This one seems like it will. I mean, we already talked about the rollout, but what is give us some early indications of successes you're having. Sure. Well, there's a major uh, New York investment fund that's been using the indexes for a year and a half, and they are our principal backer in this venture. So I think getting their confidence, A, in the indexes and the forecast, and our ability to execute is, is a tremendous boost. We got that investment in March of this year, and they're a Good. fund that congratulations. Thank you, and, and they're a fund that manages twenty-five billion dollars. They're experts in the residential mortgage space. They're run by some famous people um, who have played a role in this marketplace for the last few decades, and so that backing means a lot to us. Um, the um, the parent company, Weiss Residential Research has um, Coral Bond Rating Agency as one of its strategic investors. Mm. So we feel like we've had some successes in convincing smart, ethical people in the space that what we're doing makes sense and, and is achievable. And, of course, that leads to other people gaining confidence. It opens doors. And so we're now able to be speaking to major government agencies involved in the, in the mortgage industry and mortgage finance and um, lenders, originators, hedge fund managers, the, the whole world is really um, at the table brainstorming how to pull this all together. So I, I'm very buoyed that, that uh, people get it and think it's practical this time around, whereas it was not when I was running Case Shuller White. Right. I can understand why. And then as far as the homeowners, home buyers coming into the market, what's your success at, and what's the interest and uh, acceptance of this? From them? 
Well, I, I've done a few smaller deals with single-family rental owners, mm-hmm. and generally, what I find is generally pe- people who are very sophisticated and have been in the industry for decades think that it's going to be too complicated for right. the average person, and they underestimate the, I think, the ability for the average person to understand this concept and accept it. I've talked to many different people about this who are not trained in the field. They get it sometimes much faster than people trained because they don't have any preconceived notions about how in other words, people in the industry continue to refer to index fractional ownership as a mortgage sometimes for months after I've been talked <laughs> to but yeah, you cannot get out of that paradigm. Yeah, yeah. And, well and that's that's oftentimes we get trapped in our paradigms oftentimes. I think that's and I think that's what's so innovative about this. Alan, this has been wonderful. I really appreciate you taking time to be on the broadcast again so soon after the last one. But this is this is really important that we get this message out. For those that are interested in learning more and want to talk to someone in your firm directly, what's the best way for them to connect with you? Sure. They can go to our website, ifoequity.com, and send a message, and I will receive it. Um, or they can um, email me directly. Um, I guess if you want to put my, my yep. link on the site, that would be fine. Good, good. I will. Alan, thank you so much for being here with us. This is really fascinating and I'm already getting some text messages in. That was interesting. Want to learn more. So I suspect you're going to be hearing more from our listeners. So thank you so much again. Look forward to it. Look forward to meeting you. Now, you're going to be speaking at the AmeriCatalyst event this year in uh, in Santa, I mean, here in Austin that Tony has. That would be great. We look forward to and Folks, if you're not a planning to attend that conference you need to we're going to have tony uh on tony moss on uh, later in august uh, talking about that event and alan will be there so get, that's just kind of a teaser another reason to be at tony's event this year alan thank you so much have a great rest of the week and oh i wish you continued success in all that you're doing very innovative love it thank you thank you so much bye-bye talk to you soon This has been Lincoln on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update with your host, David Lincoln of Mortgage Banking Solutions, enabling executives to take their business to the next level. Today's guests were Joe Farr from MBS Line, Andy Shell of Mortgage Banking Solutions, and Alice Alvey, President CMB of Mortgage U. Come by next week and thank you for listening. 